what is the difference between falling and flying? It's all up here. It's all in what you're focusing on. That free fall, the fear comes when you're looking at the ground. But what would happen if you looked up and looked all around at the things that you're able to see now that you weren't able to see when you were locked inside the airplane, you know? And it really is a mindset thing. Today, I'm talking nerdy with Jonathan Bowles on taking a leap of faith and how to get out of your head and into your heart. Jonathan is a motivational speaker, a coach, and lovingly known as the pastor of disaster. He left a 16-year career in the evangelical megachurch to start his own company, Slingshot House. I wanted to bring Jonathan on to talk with me about living fearlessly because I recently recorded an episode on the anatomy of fear and anxiety. You can find the link to that in the show notes. And because Jonathan is the person that I personally call whenever I need a pep talk before taking a leap of faith. In today's conversation, we're gonna step away from the science for a moment and into the practical. What does it actually take to recondition your relationship with fear in such a way that it can exist without holding you back from creating a life beyond your wildest dreams? If you love this episode, send me a DM on Instagram at alex underscore Nashton and let me know. If you hated this style of episode, send me a DM as well and let me know. I want to be creating episodes for this podcast that are supportive and inspiring for you. And I promise my little perfectionistic heart will be able to handle your feedback. This is our second time attempting to record this episode because my little perfectionist heart came out after listening to the first one and had this very frank um, conversation with myself about how couldn't put that out into the world. So we're here again for take two. I think it's going to be even better than take one. I feel like I'm a little more mentally prepared this time around. And what I want to share with listeners before we get into the actual meat of the episode is that you are the person that I personally call whenever I'm making a really big life decision specifically a risky life decision that deviates from the norm. And when I know that everyone else in my life is going to tell me that I'm crazy and not to do it, you're the person I can consistently rely on to say, blow it up, dump him, move out of your house, move across the country, leave everything behind. And as your friend and as somebody who calls you pretty frequently for pep talks and personal motivational speeches. I think that you're one of the most inspiring and masterful people that I know in terms of working through our relationship with fear and getting into a more helpful dynamic with it. So I'm really excited to have you on here today, Jonathan, to talk about how to move through fear and what is stopping people from doing the shit that they want to do in the first place. Thanks so much for coming on and talking nerdy to me. Oh my God, I'm happy to be here. Even your perfectionist heart is still perfect. When I was doing my podcast a long time ago, I remember the same thing of just like, no, I want to do that one again. I want to do that one again. And it's so, it's so necessary to do that, you know? Being a podcaster, a lot of times every, it seems like, oh, everybody's got a podcast now. It's like, mm, no, not really. Not really. It is an incredibly vulnerable act to put yourself out there and to have a show because you're basically telling the whole world that you're an expert on something. 
and you're willing to talk about it and it's like you don't know how it's going to be received or who's even listening on the other end so i get it i get it you keep going for it but uh i'm happy to do it twice i like it i ain't got no problem running my mouth as long as anybody wants to hear it I want to hear it. I feel like I could have conversations with you all day like this. And for those of you who are listening, the last time we tried to record a podcast episode, I decided that I would come into it with zero preparation at all as a personal challenge for my perfectionism. I was also, the morning that we recorded it, fresh out of a little breakup from a situationship. And so I was emotional. I was not prepared. The questions were not flowing as easily as they normally yeah, do. It was a beautiful storm. It was a really beautiful storm. And I think we can do a little bit better. At the very least, I can do better. I feel like you're very consistent. You always show up with the same level of energy and enthusiasm and wisdom every time. It's all good. It's all good. This one is going to be exactly what it needs to be. And the last one was exactly what it needed to be for that. Just not everybody need to hear it just going to keep that tucked away in the talk nerdy to me vault of things that will never see the public eye. <laughs> you can put it behind the paywall. The lost tapes. I love it. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that part of the journey to self-acceptance is accepting the part of ourselves and learning to love the part of ourselves that is constantly seeking to be perfect and improve ourselves more and more too. You know, I think in this world of personal transformation and self-development, it can feel like this never-ending DIY fixer-upper project that is ourselves. And I think part of the journey is reconciling the part of ourselves that is constantly like, must do more to fix myself and be perfect. And you know what? I, like, I tried. We tried to show up and, and have zero perfectionism. And guess what? It didn't work. It turned into a really shitty episode. And back to try it again. And that's something that I think you and I have talked about quite often actually is that if you're not failing from time to time, you're not doing it right. You're doing something wrong. And one of my favorite authors, Jen Sincero, she always says, if you're not terrified, you're not doing something right. That there should always be at least a little bit of fear in any endeavor that you take on. And yeah, I think for me, that last episode, as much as it was a failure, it was also such a huge success in trying to do something new and different, not being hyper prepared for everything on my end. I'm a big self-improvement. I'm always constantly wanting to learn and wanting to grow. But I think there's this unspoken kind of elephant in the room in that a huge part of growing and evolving is accepting the parts of you that don't measure up to this standard that you have in your mind of what is perfect. That was something that I was very self-conscious about. And even to an extent, it's like I listened to some of the other people that you have on these podcasts and they're so smart. You know, when I talk to you sometimes, it's like you have just this knowledge and wisdom that you've learned from the area of study that you have. And that's not my flow. <laughs> couldn't explain scientifically anything at all. I mean, I went to college and everything. I'm not dumb. 
but that is not my, that's not my flow. And I, there was a long time that I would look at other people that were in my field or doing certain things, or even now, a, a lot of times I'll look at other people and I'll see in them these qualities that I don't have. And I'll be like, I really need to be like that. I need to work harder on that. I need to be more prepared. I need to know this. I need to study more. And it's like, we kind of have this picture in our mind of, of what we should be, but a big part of like truly becoming comfortable and a truly present, like evolved, transformed and growing person is to accept the things that you really are. And we'll fight against it a lot of times of like, no, I've got to do this. I've got to do this and try to make ourselves a certain way. But a big part of doing the work is accepting now that's just kind of how I am. And I really like that. And then when you start settling into, no, this is who I am. It's not slacking off or, or letting yourself off the hook or anything like that. In the Bible, there's a story of uh, the, like a phrase that was, he was rejecting the king's armor. It's like this little guy wanted to go out to battle and they were going to, you know, put the, put the armor of the king on him. And he's like, I can't do that. It, it's not me. And so he went out there it was David and Goliath was the story. And he just goes out with a, a little slingshot and five little rocks and he takes down the giant and had he had on all that armor, he wouldn't have been able to do it. And so you just kind of got to find, find your flow. I've become uh, a lot more comfortable with the fact that there are certain things that it's like, yes, that's just not me. So accepting imperfection is probably the most perfect thing you could do. I couldn't agree more. Something that you mentioned is, you know, the need to prepare more, prepare more. And that's a narrative that I have going in my own head all the time. You know, whether I'm teaching a master class or facilitating a teacher training or working one on one with clients, I still am like, I need to accumulate more knowledge and information to be even more prepared to be teaching about this stuff. And I'll get a little bit of anxiety about it from time to time of like, oh, God, I don't know enough. And then I have to pump the brakes and say, Alex, you went to school for six years studying the brain and the nervous system. You don't need to accumulate any more information right now to teach on these topics. The wisdom, the information, it's going to be coming in. Like I'll be a lifelong learner and I don't need to force myself to accumulate anymore. I think when we're in this perpetual search for growth and transformation, and we never take a moment to stop and acknowledge how far we've come, we send the subliminal message to ourselves that we're inherently broken. Like if there's always something that needs to be fixed, then it means that we're inherently flawed in the first place. And I personally, consciously am not of that belief, but I think there's still this little insidious piece of me that needs to work through it a little bit. Yeah. And it's like we're trying to prove ourselves to somebody it's like this fear that will be found out as not what we are presenting ourselves to be. It's a big deal. I would always fight against that. I would see people that would, you know, just have everything all lined up and everything like that. But in a lot of ways, the things that you see in them are actually possibly things that they are using to kind of protect themselves as well. They go so much from the head and they're spouting, you know, this reference and that reference and big word here and big word there and polish, 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 you know, possibly to cover up the feeling that they feel like they don't have that, you know, ability to, you know, be inspired in the moment or to be off the cuff or, or whatever. 
that there's always going to be some little thing that we're just going to have to continue to work on when it comes to just truly sinking into who we really are and just being fully present, you know, in that moment. Absolutely. I want to back up just a little bit because you mentioned a story from the Bible about David and Goliath. And it already comes out. I can't help it. (laughs) I think at this point in the episode, anyone who's listening is probably like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, what what are they talking about today? So I was wondering if you could share a little bit more with listeners about your backstory and where you come from and why the Bible is showing up in this conversation. Yeah, it just just pokes his little head up every now and then. No, I was raised in the South um, in Louisiana, and my earliest memories are in church. Every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday morning prayer meeting, everything. I was just, I was raised in that culture. When people ask me, well, like, what denomination was it? And it was, uh, you know, it was like a non-denominational church. Or I like to use the word uh, charismaniac. It was just wild, you know, loud preaching and dancing and shouting and speaking in tongues and hooting and hollering and Benny Hinn and praying for people and everybody flying all over the place. It's just just wild. But I I loved it. And I think the thing that I got so wrapped up in the most was the preaching and the spoken word and the storytelling. And um, I just enrolled, you know, from a very early age. I never went to children's church or anything like that for the kids because I wanted to sit there and I wanted to hear the preachers. And even going to bed at night when I was a kid, I wouldn't listen to bedtime stories. I had preaching tapes. I'm talking stacks, hundreds of them in my room. And I would listen to a different one every night to fall asleep to something about it. I, I just loved it. I think down deep now, as I've, you know, grown over the years, I just really, there was just always a heart to inspire and a heart to help people uh, find out who they are and what they want to do. But I started preaching when I was 14, 15 years old, and that turned into a 16-year career in uh, you know the world of the megachurch, like Joel Osteen, you know, Private Jets for Jesus. You know, if you've seen the Righteous Gemstones on HBO, that is that was my life. I was somewhere in between the the oldest son and the youngest son. My my job description fell kind of in the middle there. So yeah, I did that speaking upwards 10, 15 times a week from anywhere from a group of 50 people to 5,000 people at a time. And and that just became my whole world. And then when I turned 30 years old, I remember distinctly being in the kitchen of our house at the time and thinking to myself, what now? This is as far as I ever thought for my life. I never thought past being a pastor at a large church and you know having influence and and feeling like i was having an impact not just in the church but also you know in the, in the city and in the you know the missions and the adventures and all that kind of stuff just this light bulb of like wait a minute is this what i'm going to do for the the next 60 years like it's just i never thought past this and the the first thing that really dropped in my heart after that was i think there might be something else for me And so then that's kind of slowly began this kind of unwinding and untying of some of these, you know, theological knots that had formed over the years of being raised in that, uh, you know, kind of culture. And then a year later on my 31st birthday, it was actually my last day ever to be employed anywhere. So this October, I'll be 11 years clean. 
<laughs> uh, from from that. But you know, most people would look at my life and my lifestyle, the things that I do now, and they would, you know, the people in that world would say I've strayed very, very far. But in a lot of ways, I feel like I've come full circle because I don't hide from that label at all of how I was raised. It's a very cultural thing to me. I couldn't wash it off if I tried. And so I've, you know, taken a lot of the good things from that upbringing and I've brought them into my life now and left a lot of stuff behind. But yeah, that's where I come from. I was a, I was a pastor. That's what I did. And now I call myself the pastor of disaster. We're out of here. I live in California now and uh, I just moved my office uh, above a dive bar right in the middle of Hollywood, California. And uh, we out here doing it for the Lord. What we doing, I don't exactly know, but we doing it. That's amazing. I want to go back to the the moment of insight that you had of, I think there might be something else out there for me after you had already gotten to this place of having everything that you wanted. And that's definitely a moment that I've had previously as well. And I can remember a distinct moment, maybe five or six years ago when I was living just a few blocks away from you in Santa Monica, I remember sitting down for my daily meditation practice. I was in a, a very serious relationship at the time. My partner and I lived together. And I remember the thought popping in of, I wonder what my life is going to look like after we break up. And then being horrified by that thought and having all of the questions come up around like, where did that thought come from? But I'm happy right now. Am I happy right now? Why would I be thinking a thought like that if I was really happy? And I'm trying my best to like toothpaste, like shove it back in the tube, back from the nothingness from which it came and try to unsee that moment of insight. And I mean, ultimately, I couldn't do it. As you know, we broke up and... I'm curious for you why you think that many individuals don't act on that moment of insight or why they neglect it and what subsequently happens. Yeah. So the phrase that I like to use is you can't unring the bell. You know, once that thing sounds off in your mind, you can't just forget it. You know, it's a, a part of Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, it's the, the call, we hear it. And I think that to a degree, I think that that call is a very real thing. Maybe not every person on the planet is going to hear it in a very distinct way. Not everybody would be able to point back to an exact moment. I could tell you the exact geographical location of where I was standing. I was standing in between the back door and the kitchen island. And I think I was, you know, drinking a smoothie or something like that and just, whoa, and it just hit me. And this is what I've seen because I left a, a very, I'm sure most people have seen like a, a documentary on like Scientology or, or, or something of, of that nature, you know, something that's like very cult-like and most organized religion, specifically when it's that big and, you know, there's that much you know, money and influence involved, it, it's very similar. It's like trying to escape and trying to leave a, a very cult-like situation. And so it's not easy to get out. And then once you're out, you really lose everything that you were a part of previously because, you know, there's really no in-between. You're either with them or against them. And that is an incredibly hard 
thing to do, especially when you were raised in it. So many of your decisions and life choices were formed by that. The people don't do it because it's scary. You're literally changing your mind and changing then your actions to follow that leading and follow that call. That is the most difficult thing that a human being can do is to change your mind. It is incredibly brave to follow that call. But what I've seen is I have so many friends that are still back in that world that that stayed. Uh, and we would have a lot of the same feelings, a lot of the same questions, and, and a lot of ways would feel that same draw, that same call of like, eh, maybe there's more out there. But you really have one of two choices. You either get the guts and get yourself together and you start taking steps to follow that call, or you just kind of have to shut down and you have to start purposely ignoring that call, purposely ignoring that leading. I would venture to say the majority of people are going to just shut it down. And there's so many things that also will kind of pile on top of that, that will try to get you to stay. I remember one time my, the first like real wild idea I had was coming out of high school. My mom and dad had just got me this brand new pickup truck and, and I was, you know, going to go into college. That's what they wanted to do. But I had this idea. It's like, mom, what if I just, you know, I sold the truck and just used that money. And I just moved to Jamaica and played guitar for just like a year. And then I come back and start. <laughs> This was like, you know, the Rastafarian call, you know, oh, I'm going to go and play reggae in Jamaica for a year before I go to college. You know, and she shut that down immediately. Right. And so, you know, that's a funny example. But like you said, in the, in the example of, of breaking up with your boyfriend at the time, it's like there's so many reasons of like, oh, no, girl, he's so good. He's so nice. He's so cute. And oh, this is fine. And we have all those voices. And then a lot of times we have the voices of, of parents and teachers and society and friends and everything like that. Everybody wants you to just stay where you are. <laughs> like, don't move. Stay in this little box. Stay right here. Don't change anything. Don't upset the dynamic. The two main reasons is because is it's incredibly hard and scary to follow the call. And the majority of society and those in your inner circle are most likely going to try to talk you out of it. So that's probably why they don't. I think that it's that whole phrase, the devil you know is always preferable to the one that you don't. And anytime we disrupt the dynamic of what is happening right now, we're stepping into uncertainty and there's nothing as scary to us as the great unknown and all of the myriad of ways that things could go really, really wrong while we simultaneously discount all of the myriad of ways that things could go really, really right, it's almost like this cost-benefit analysis where we are willing to look at what it would cost us if taking a leap of faith or taking a big risk ended up being a huge failure. But we're not willing to look at the cost of what would happen if we stayed exactly where we are right now. And for some people, that's totally fine. You know, the, the example we've been talking about, it's like, yeah, that relationship would have been fine. It would have been good enough. It was good enough. And if there is anything better out there and if there is a call to something 
beyond what that immediate dynamic is, I think for me personally, the cost of not at least exploring what the other options were and what my life would have looked like beyond that, the cost of that would have been greater for me. And I know that that's not the same for everyone. Like we all have different values. We all have different weights that we ascribe to certainty and uncertainty and that little calling of our heart. And there's nothing wrong, I think, with choosing not to take a risk or choosing not to take a leap. And I think it's important that we also understand for ourselves and can acknowledge everything that comes with that decision, costs included of staying exactly where we are. I mean, and I'll go as far as to say it's best for most people to never change. Like, I know that sounds crazy to say, but like one of my, I, I, I call it like one of my spirit guides, one of my, one of my real dads, <laughs> so to speak, is Chagim Trumpa Ripache. One of my favorite quotes from him is if you can stay asleep, stay asleep. Because once you wake up, there ain't no going back, you know? And I think in a lot of ways, as risk averse as you sometimes say you are, Alex, you are very wild. <laughs> you are a true adventurer. You are a, a true psycho in many ways. And that's what I love so much about you. And I feel like that's why we connect. Most people, there is no cost for them not changing. They are totally content. But there's just some of us that have what I like to call a divine discontentedness that is just always moving forward. And just listening to that voice, listening to that call, listening to that leading. And there's different levels of battle that goes on within us. And over time, you get better at, you know, kind of managing that dynamic in you. But most people are just going to stay. That's why not everyone is a hero. To kind of go back to that, the hero's journey thing. What good would the Star Wars movies be or the Lord of the Rings movie be if everybody in there was the hero then there's nothing that's you know really truly magical about that it's not for everybody and uh, and i always like to say it's usually the people that are comfortable are not listening to podcasts like this so i feel like we're we're talking right to people that they you heard it you heard it you might be delaying a little bit you might be nervous but you heard it and you can you can follow it you can definitely do it Sometimes I wonder what it would be like, though, to stay in the Shire. It looks pretty great. Like, it's peaceful. It's quiet. They eat, like, seven meals a day. I feel like the last couple of years, for me, there's been some real, real rough experiences. To go back to the Bible again, Jesus, before he was crucified, he went and he prayed in this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane, which was an olive grove. It was a place where they would literally harvest the olives and then press it down into olive oil. And he literally prays in that moment, if there's any possible way for me to not do this, you know, because he knew that he was about to go and, and sacrifice and be killed and all that. Like he knew the tale. He knew the story. He knew what was ahead of him. And he literally prays, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, please let me off the hook. If it's possible, can I please not do this? And I feel that the more and more that you go into your calling, into your journey, your path, whatever, 
when you are really going for it and you really are starting to reach some major breakthrough moments, you will have those feelings of, can I please quit? Can I please just be off the hook? Can I please just get a steady paycheck? Can I please just go live in the suburbs and have a wife and three kids and two big SUVs? Can I just go back to that, please? It's like, unless you have those feelings at that level of like, yo, no, I really would love to not have to do this crazy life anymore. Then that's when you're really tapping into the good stuff. That's when you know you're about to have some major momentum and some major movement forward is when you get to that fevered pitch of everything about you that is human, physical, mortal, normal, anything like that is just screaming for relief from this journey that your spirit is taking you on, you know? And so I know that when I get to those moments, I'm about to come into a different level. I'm about to come into a different time. And so I am very open about, about those types of experiences of like, man, there is not a week that goes by where I don't look back over my shoulder and be like, yeah, well, I think that what it requires is a, a reconditioning of our relationship with fear, because fear is the number one reason, in my opinion, why people don't do the shit that they want to do. Like, that's why I studied anxiety disorders is because I'm fascinated with human limitation and how we hold ourselves back. And I think a lot of times at the first indication of fear, people will start to retreat and hold themselves back or they misinterpret fear as a sign that they shouldn't be doing something. And that's usually not the case. We mentioned this earlier, but like if you're not terrified, then you're probably not doing something right. And I think that when it comes to taking these big leaps of faith, like what we've been talking about, you know, leaving a relationship leaving a steady paycheck, following the calling of your heart. The analogy that I like to use, which we've talked about before, is skydiving. And there are really two places where fear can impact us when we're skydiving. And the first is taking the leap. The second is during the free fall. Because ideally, when you're skydiving, you've got the parachute strapped onto you, you have to get over your fear of jumping out of the plane. And when I say get over your fear, I don't mean that you eliminate the fear at all. What I mean is you acknowledge that the fear is there and you still take action anyway to jump. And I feel like my psychoness, in your words, has come from a willingness to jump. And then what I notice in myself that I often do is when I'm in the free fall, that's when I wish that I could backpedal. And so fear can either prevent us from jumping in the first place when we're not an appropriate relationship with it, or it can ruin the experience of the, the flying, the free falling, and haven't gained the tools and skill sets to regulate our nervous system and learn to be okay in that uncertainty. Yeah. I distinctly remember the day that we sold our house, signed the papers. I'm saying we, because I was married at the time. We went to go to sit with one of our mentors. Her name was Miss Mary. And Miss Mary was just this calm, sweet, peaceful, beautiful Southern Texan prophetess, you know, just always had the right thing to say. She looked over at me and she's like, well, Jonathan, how do you feel about this move? You know, you're selling the house and kind of going into the unknown. And I said, Miss Mary, I feel like I'm about to jump out of a plane and I don't know if I got a parachute or not. 
and she looked right at me and she said something that just really shook me to my core. And she said, oh, honey, you're not going to fall. You're going to fly. And it just made me go like, whoa, what is the difference between falling and flying? It's all up here. When you look at Peter Pan or any of these, you know, like nobody is flying, flapping their wings, you know, it's just like this mental thing. Even Peter Pan, think happy thoughts. And that's what was allowing them to fly. And it's all in what you're focusing on that free fall. The fear comes when you're looking at the ground. But what would happen if you looked up and looked all around at the things that you're able to see now that you weren't able to see when you were locked inside the airplane, you know? And so it really is a mindset thing. You know, obviously the jumping out of the plane is the first step. You know, you can move past that fear, but even in that, you're very safe in the plane and then you jump out and then you are in a complete unknown situation. And that can either be, like you said, absolutely terrifying or the most euphoric, wild, out of this world experience you could ever possibly have. And I go back and forth between those two feelings hundreds of times a day. That is the work. I don't think that anyone in their right mind would truly ever say that they're able to completely eliminate that fear. And not only is that impossible, I don't even think that that's best because if you don't have that that thing to compare it to, then the flying doesn't necessarily seem as wild or cool or special, you know, but it's, it's in that free fall that it really is about a mindset of, am I looking at the ground and oh my gosh, how close am I going to get? Um, how many pieces am I going to splatter into, you know, and we're looking at all the ways that this could go bad instead of uh, fixing our eyes on literally everything else the whole universe and stratosphere that's up here instead of focusing right down on this thing that could maybe be a problem in, you know, a few seconds. If you were to explain that last piece in non-skydiving terminology, if someone, for example, just made the decision to move across the country or quit a super cushy job, what would that look like? Not What would not looking at the ground look like and instead looking ahead at the stratosphere? Well, two things. First of all, it really is a simple practice of managing the thoughts in your head because it, we can really, really quickly go from something that is not ideal to literal absolute certain death in 0.5 seconds in our minds if we let a thought run wild, right? The best way that I could kind of describe this would be maybe let's go with your finances. That's the big one, right? That one's leaving a little bit more applicable because of you leaving the cushy job, right? So, you know, we have that feeling of, oh no, what am I going to do for money, right? And we have like maybe a, a certain cushion of money that's in our bank account and then we start to see it kind of dwindle down. And, you know, we have this goal of, oh, I need to have this much saved and I'll be okay and this, that, or whatever. And we have that feeling of like, oh no, 
Like, am I going to have enough to cover this, cover that, cover this? And then we take that thought of I'm going to run out of money, you know, because we just went down a little bit or maybe we, you know, lost the sale or this or that or whatever. And we see that, oh, no, I'm going to run out of money. And then we attach meaning to what running out of money means, right? Well, if I run out of money, then that A, that means I'm a failure. B, that means I'm going to have to move out of my house. Then I'm going to have to, you know, move in with my parents again. I'm going to have to tuck my tail and go back to where I came from. Uh, I'm going to be embarrassed. This and then next thing you know, I remember literally one time, and I probably, I think I told you this, is when we moved out here to Los Angeles, you know, we had no jobs, no nothing. We had sold a house. We had a little cushion of money. But, you know, that in L.A. does not go very far. And so I remember literally, you know, there's a lot of homeless people (laughs) out here on the west side. And I remember seeing homeless people and been like, they probably moved out here six months ago thinking that they were going to make it. And now look at them over there. And then I remember one time we had just gotten our dog, Gorgeous George, and I saw a homeless guy with a dog. And I looked down at my dog. I was walking him and I was like, well, I've got the dog. It's just a matter of time before me and the dog are homeless. (laughs) You know, it's just like we let our mind just run wild. And so a way to not look at the ground is to give your mind something else to think about. So it's like reversing that process and just put in your mind something that could possibly go right and follow that down the path of glory and fame and blessing and abundance and go that way. It's like an exercise in your mind. There's something that I like to do. I call it acting in the opposite spirit. And that is if I am afraid to do something, if I'm afraid of a certain you know risk to take or this or that, I will purposely in my heart, in my guts, I will be like, no, I'm not going to give in to that fear, that feeling. As a matter of fact, I'm going to double down in this direction. If I'm afraid of running out of money, I'm going to do something generous to show that I am not worried or concerned about this. Now, listen, take everything I say with a grain of salt that I might be a little bit out of my mind. But being out of your mind is how you live by faith <laughs> because you, know, you kind of have to get outside of that, right? But acting, do something in the other direction. So if you feel yourself going down this path of anxiety and it's getting a little out of control and possibly unrealistic, where you feel like you're going to be walking the streets of Venice with your new adopted dog and somehow lost everything in a matter of 36 hours, maybe give yourself something to think about and let yourself fantasize, daydream, go in this direction to kind of pull it back to center. So there's an exercise I remember something that Tim Ferriss recommended. And this was something long, long time ago, even before we sold the house, before I made any move, they said, whatever step you're about to take, imagine the absolute worst case scenario and write it down. And I remember writing it down, run out of money, move in with mom and dad, lose this, lose that, lose everything. And then the second question is, what is a more like, what would be the best case scenario. And you write that down. And then 
try to land somewhere in the middle. But just putting those two things out of your mind and not just letting them roll around in there, but actually putting them out. And then also maybe even saying them out loud to someone else, because a lot of times the things that we're afraid of, if we actually said those out loud, the people around us would be like, oh my God, you're like, you're out of your mind. That's absolutely not going to happen, you know? And so that's the first thing you have to do is you just kind of have to take control of your thoughts and purposely put something else in there that is going to move you in the other direction. But it really is as simple as stopping the anxious thought and a lot of times the intrusive anxious thought and stopping it in its tracks before it becomes something that it becomes like a stronghold in your mind. But you have to like be aggressive and be offensive when it comes to your thoughts. And that's what I mean by not looking at the ground is to purposely, on purpose, put your eyes on something else. Fake it till you make it. It's one of the things that we say in the world of neuroscience because as you start to participate in generating emotions that feel inauthentic and thought patterns that feel inauthentic, eventually that just becomes the norm and your brain believes it and adopts it as its own belief system and baseline. So fake it till you make it. Something that you mentioned in terms of looking at the best case scenario, the worst case scenario, there's a lot of controversy around this in the modern wellness world because Obviously, most people are spending way too much time focusing on the worst case scenario. And then there's this whole school of thought in terms of manifestation. And then there's this whole non-secular form of mindfulness that's like both of those things are delusions because they're not happening right here and right now. Projecting your mind into best case scenario and worst case scenario are both unhelpful because they're not the reality of what's here and right now. And I'm curious what your thoughts and opinions are on that. Are they unhelpful? Yeah, I would I would agree with that to some extent, for sure. But also, because ultimately the goal is to be fully present, because that is where everything is really perfect and complete. Yes, absolutely. But not allowing yourself to go in that direction some of us, we have just spent so much time in negativity and anxiety that science be damned, honey, daydream a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Imagine it like this. We are so starved of just punishing ourselves with this negativity and these thoughts. Honey, eat some damn cupcakes and get your weight up, <laughs> you know, and then, yeah. Ultimately, this is where you want to be because this is where the true freedom and the true bliss really is, is right in the middle. The, the life that I'm living right now is incredibly fulfilling to me. And if I rewound the tape 10 years, I could not have made this up if I wanted to. And so to me, it is just an exercise to get my mind more in balance and to tip the scales to where I can come into an equilibrium of being right here in the now. And so, yeah, I agree. Be delusional. Go for it. This is not really helpful at all, being anxious, negative, and just letting that stuff run wild. Also, not letting this stuff completely run wild either. But I will say this. The majority of successful people I know are incredibly delusional. 
it's a sense of confidence and a sense of belief. It's a, just a different type of mindset going in that direction and, and having those kind of wild thoughts and, and letting yourself dream and fantasize and pull that up it, in a lot of ways, it really does. That's what kind of centers me because we're so wired for fear and negativity that it really does balance the scales. You kind of have to be like truly out of your mind to be like straight up, nothing but delusional, wild, fantastic thoughts. I completely understand the reasoning behind that. And I think it's very right on, especially if we just want to be present. That's the goal. But I feel like allowing ourselves to daydream, allowing ourselves to go down that best possible scenario, it in a lot of ways, it's just pulling us back to center because we've been so off in the other direction for so long. And I mean, the world is literally pulling you off the course 24 seven, you know? So I think if nothing else, it's just the tool to get you back where you are. And maybe one day we'll all get there. We'll all get straight down the middle like these people that have it all figured out. Allegedly, they have it all figured out. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Jonathan. If somebody wanted to learn more from you about how to create this vision for their lives and get into more of that daydream state and really start to see what's possible for themselves, what's the best way that they can reach out or learn more from you or about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty available online. Uh, it's just my name at Jonathan Bowles. My company is called Slingshot House. I'm in the joy business. We, uh, we help people figure out what it is that they want. We help them do it. We help you launch. That's what Slingshot House is. So my Instagram is just my name, at Jonathan Bowles, and the Slingshot Instagram is Slingshot House. But that, that's the best way. I have kind of a rule that I'll talk to anybody that wants to for 30 minutes. No questions asked. Let's go. Whatever you want to talk about. And uh, you know, if you're interested in, in, in working together, you have an idea, we always just start with 30 minutes of like, what's the deal? What you, th what you thinking about? What you talking about? What do, what do you want to do? What can I do for you? You know, send me a DM. I'm, I'm very responsive on that. Yeah. I would be down to talk to anybody and everybody. Amazing. Thank you so much. Are there any final nuggets of wisdom that are coming through right now that you feel compelled to share before we wrap it up? I mean, I could keep going all night long to just kind of put it all under one one phrase is, is the goal is to live your life happy, scared, you know, in a good balance of both. You don't want to just be sitting back and be nothing but happy all the time, you know, because like you said, if you're not terrified, if you're not scared, then you might not be moving in the right direction. But at the same time, you don't want to just be terrified all the time. There's got to be a little bit of joy in there somewhere. And so there's some joy that you got to fight for it to have that in your life. But then there's also like, you know, find your, your comfortable amount of risk for the day. And, and try to stay there. So finding that balance of happy scared is, is the best place to be. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that and talking nerdy to me. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. 
Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.